I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. He's <laughs> coming out! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass, and Hello and welcome to your first The 42 Rugby Weekly of 2022. Happy New Year to you if it's not too late in the year already to be wishing you such things. And I hope you had an absolutely wonderful break or as good as possible in the circumstances. Joining us to chat about rugby a little bit is firstly Murray Kinsler of The 42. Murray, we spoke to you just after Christmas, so... Happy New Year. Are you a, a New Year's resolutions man? What's the plan for 2022? No, I gave them up a few years ago because I just never stuck to them. Uh, I'm trying going to try and be a bit better person and stuff. But uh, yeah, I had a great New Year. Was down at the Tremor races out near Waterford. Uh, spotted John O'Shea, who's the local major celebrity. Willie Mullins was there as well. And a, a class day out. So nothing too exciting compared to years gone by. But it was it was pretty good. How did you get on, Gav? Poor, don't really want to talk about it, to be honest. I've been stuck in this house now for what feels like an eternity. But um, glad to see your face is all the more glad. And I can't even believe that you're considering being a better person. I, I just don't see it. Uh, Bernard Jackman, <laughs> how was your Christmas? We haven't spoken to you in a while. You were away, I believe. Yeah, I was away. You know, seeing my, my darker shade of white that I'm uh, <laughs> I'm showing off. Um, I went down to Tenerife for a week. It was lovely. And uh, yeah, back into it. Looking forward to, to chatting. Obviously, there wasn't many games, but there's... <laughs> This year, this is non-stop uh, talking points in in Irish rugby, world rugby. So, looking are forward you, uh, to it. Sorry, Gav. What are your what are your New Year's resolutions? No, I, I don't have any. I, I usually would practice um, a, a thing I call wet January, where I go out a little bit more and drink as about a normal volume, um, because I ov- I often think, what is the point in depriving yourself of enjoyment on this the darkest of months, and especially in a pandemic, but you know, early closing times are going to make that difficult. I like to kind of taper off late January and then make plans for the year, like sometime in Q1, take the pressure off. Um, But those plans are usually, yeah, at the window by kind of early April. So I'm in a similar boat to you. Are you a resolutions guy, Bert? You don't (laughs) strike me as one, to be totally honest. I got to stop being a hermit, (laughs) cut out the sweets, the desserts. Uh, (laughs) No, no, no chance. No, no, just keep going, keep going. Enjoy life. That's, that is exactly it. That's usually my resolution. Just keep doing what you're doing and see where you end up. We're going to chat about the rugby that was on, obviously, Connacht and Munster, which it probably feels like an eternity ago now, but it has been a while since we actually caught up with you guys at home. Um, it'll be a Munster-dominated show, I'm afraid to say, for those of you from the other provinces. Obviously, we're going to give Connacht their dues and their victory, but just a lot going on with Munster. And uh, for Ulster and Leinster, we're kind of just waiting to see them play again. Now, that feels like a long time since it's happened. Uh, we'll dive straight into what happened in Galway, Murray. And from Connacht's point of view, we on this podcast, Connacht fans, everybody involved in Irish rugby has been calling for a long time for Connacht to just actually win games with regularity. And that word consistency has been sort of abused probably at this point where Connacht are concerned. Did it feel as though winning that type of a game, a scrappy old game, um, they're starting to find what they have been looking for for the last couple of seasons under Andy Friend? Absolutely. And I think it's a, a great result for them, even given the fact that it obviously wasn't a game of great quality from either side. I'm delighted you, you kind of started by going to, to give Connacht their dues because it has been Munster-dominated week. I got back on what Tuesday to work and it's just been monster story after monster story so it is nice to reflect on a on a good win for them a good result I mean they'll look at their own performance and they'll see 13 penalties conceded I think they conceded 13 turnovers as well 
while they did show more flourishes than Munster, certainly in attack, they probably were frustrated with their uh, finishing prowess and even a number of chances to score more tries. I know they got one, but they'll feel they could have done even more damage given the, the number of platforms they had in, in that regard. Um, so yeah, loads of bits for them to, to improve on, but at the same time, they've beaten Munster and, and they've had a good record recently in terms of the Interpro pros especially with their performance level and it's good for them to get that result now as well you think of Thoman Park not that long ago when they had massive frustration about a, a refereeing decision that uh, kind of helped swing the, the game in Munster's favour but I was really encouraged to see probably the more unheralded guys in the Connacht squad really stepping up in this game Oshin Dowling was excellent in the second row and we mentioned him a couple of times it's been a great success he was injured at the start after moving down from Leinster but he's been really excellent in the second row since obviously Keen Prendergast continuing his really gritty form and for a young guy he's just relishing the the combat side of it even the the handbags which turned a little bit nastier I suppose at half time um even that kind of stuff like he's not taking a backward step and he, and he looks like a guy who's who's built for the the big occasion i thought matthew burke actually a loose head again a guy who goes completely under the radar i mean we spoke about dennis buckley getting injured and connick's worries at loose head but he's been really good the last while stepping up really winning collisions being solid at set piece time and offering a, a bit around the pitch as well so fantastic to see that kind of side of the game uh, sorry the squad rather really kind of stepping up and and pushing on through and and it's a really nice way for them to start 2022 and as you said they want to string these results together now and it looks like they're going to be able to do that a lot more even the way they went away to Leicester and delivered a really good performance they didn't get the result there obviously but Leicester are one of the most informed teams in the world of rugby at the moment and they showed that they were more than competitive enough there probably shaded in the in the scrum of course and and that was the deciding of the game but it is exciting for them now looking into this year that all their players individually are getting consistency in their performances and now they're going to get the results hopefully on the back of that but you were in Galway on COCOMs and I'd suggest that you've been in Galway for enough of those games where Munster or one of the other provinces have kind of squeaked a win against Connacht despite Connacht playing well and this time, obviously, the result was different. Did it kind of feel different, like a, a step in the right direction, a concrete step for Connacht, if you like? Yeah, I was actually talking to to a month, an ex Munster player the other day, and we were reminiscing about a three nil defeat. Uh, Munster beat Connacht three nil that I played in um, in the sports ground, and we actually said. And maybe we were biased because we we're on the field, but there was no one going away from that game talking about it being a crap match uh, because it was it was a full full blooded uh, affair, and both teams tried to play. Um, obviously, you know, no, neither team attack got on, on top, but that that was the most disappointing thing for me. I was Cocom. It was a very difficult game to Cocom on. To be honest, probably the most difficult I've done this season. Um, there was a lot of errors. Connor, particularly in the first half, they put a lot of ball in the ground that they they normally don't. But they were trying to play, and um, and in fairness to them, uh, in a third quarter, some of their attack um, really started to stress Munster more than should have. To be honest, and, and Munster started to give away penalties at the breakdown. But it was they were the only team who wanted to play on the, on the night. And and the, the stat that there was forty five passes made by by Connor, or by Munster, twenty two or twenty three of them from. Um, from nine, Craig Casey. I mean that that tells a story in a game that they had a decent platform off line out, decent platform off scrum. Um, they just seem to be advert or seem to have no interest in, in playing with the ball in hand. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a it was a strange one, and I think as well. I mean, there was lots of scuffles and and pulling and dragging. But, I mean, I think Connacht were feeling that they were winning those little battles, and I mean, you know, for. 
for you'd expect coming out the second half, given what happened at half time, running off the field, given that Connor kind of started that, you would expect some kind of reaction from from Munster in the second half, and that doesn't have to be a fight. I mean, you can lay down a marker physically through set piece dominance, through physicality at the breakdown, um, through big hits, but they they were found wanting. There was no reaction, and um, I mean, I think that's that's the thing they'll be talking about on Monday. How how they allowed themselves to be, I suppose, bullied to a certain extent by by Connacht, um, and also how, I suppose, how innately um, negative or, or um, yeah, cautious they were with with their game plan. I mean, Damien Delande is a world class player. You know, they're ten eight down, four or five minutes left. Ben Healy throws a great pass. Connacht were narrow. That's an opportunity to relieve pressure, and he got as far as the twenty two. There was definitely an opportunity to at least put a pass in, see what happens, and then maybe kick. But, I mean, he just kicks it out. Like, if you're winning 10-8, you do that, but not losing 10-8. So, for me, that typified, um, you know, there's loads of other examples of when they kicked the ball away, but that typified how they seemed to be just totally alien uh, to, to wanting to have the ball in hand. And they got what they deserved. And it was narrow, and they'll say it was a close game. Um, but they got what they deserved on the night, I felt. Yeah, it was interesting to see Diolande do that. And on the other side of the spectrum in terms of experience, Alex Candelan at one point doing something similar, you know, and uh, we, we, I think we'll get into that a little bit with Munster in a moment, but just to stick with Connacht for the time being, Bridge, like, I thought the mall was actually quite interesting. Defensively, it's been a bugbear of theirs for a long time, and Munster have probably punished them off the top of my head a, a fair few times in recent years. They didn't seem to get really any purchase out of it, or, or not a lot, in Galway, and Connacht, as Murray said, looked probably the more... I don't want to say well-schooled team, it's probably unfair, but it looked as though they were more dangerous with their own offensive mall than Munster were. Um, is that something that has that they've improved know, quite recently? Or, or have no, I just no, missed that's been kind better of a gradual improvement? To be honest. I mean, it was a massive Achilles heel for them. Um, no matter how good their attacking game was, they were um, so poor at defending malls, either conceding tries or conceding penalties, which led to five-meter lineouts and then conceding um, yellow cards and, and tries. So... I, I, before Christmas there I saw a stat they'd only conceded something like five five penalties out of 68 mall um, attempts and that's like that's been added to now so if you look at the Munster game Munster were getting some go forward at, at the initial start of that mall um, and but what Connacht are very good at at the moment is not conceding a penalty so they're not they're not afraid to give up a couple of metres. They don't want to give them up, but they, they would like to contest in the air as well. So against a good mauling team, which Munster are, they can be vulnerable to giving up four or five metres. But what they're good at then is is showing really good pitchers to the referee and stopping it and making Munster play off it. And the mall, in fairness, like a good mall is a great attacking platform, even when it's stopped, because obviously the opposition have had to put so many players in to stop it. But only against a team who are willing to actually pull the trigger and get to wit. So if Munster are, are willing to play narrow off a, a stop mall, I mean, it's playing into, into Connacht's hands. So um, I think Connacht did really well, but that's not new, Gav. That's that's since September. They've worked really hard on it over the off-season. Um, but what was surprising was how they punished Munster with their own attacking mall, um, which is an area they have been really disappointed with in, in, in too many games this year. They've gone to the corner and they just haven't nailed that. And the Bundiaki try... I think that could be a massive psychological uh, flip for them because they knew their mall defensively was going well, but it hasn't been an attacking weapon. They've been relying on 
on other other areas of their attack to to score points. So if they can add that now, and they will get confidence from that. Um, and in fairness, it's winter rugby. They play in the sports ground. You need to have another weapon. You can't just be all out attack all the time. Um, so I think that's that's definitely something that they'll be really pleased about. And it's something that maybe um, every team needs to have some element of balance to their play. Um, and Connacht will always be favoured towards high tempo, ball in hand, trying to offload. But there will be games where you need to be able to go to the corner and put a squeeze on team. And they did against Munster. Yeah, the game seemed to hinge, Murray. Or sorry, you were going to come in there, Murray? Yeah. You you said you didn't want to maybe say that was well-schooled. Is that, that the phrase used? But like, I think that was a good example of how Connacht did probably look the better coach team overall on, on the day. Like, Deval Senecal has done a brilliant job with those forwards. As Birch says, the mole's been transformed, really. It's maybe a strong word, but really improved. Obviously, Peter Wilkins has taken over the attack and it wasn't a perfect night for that, but I still think we saw lovely glimpses of what they've brought in on that side of the game. Like, they've slightly tweaked their their game style. It, it suits Jack Carty so well. In their face play, he's got really tight runners, like quite narrow off him, and you generally think get those forward pods a little bit wider out will spread the defence, but guys are running real tight lines off him, uh, getting nice timing on their acceleration onto the ball, so they're always a threat just off his shoulder. Defenders have to make really late decisions in kind of congested spaces and, and a guy like Cardi is excellent at making the alternative decision in, in attack late at the line either picking out one of those forwards darting himself or going out the back door where they always have a back loaded and then with another wave of, of at least one forward off him as well and and you think that's actually pretty simple structure but it's really hard to do it really well with the kind of cohesion that they're getting and it and it shows in in terms of the, the quality of coaching that they're getting there obviously Collie Tucker and and Mossy Lawler have come in and, and influence on, on their sides of the game as well. And and, and Tucker be d- pleased with the, the defensive side of it in particular. So, yeah, they, they look well-schooled and well-coached at the moment. And then there's instances in Munster's game plan where let's, okay, obviously let's acknowledge that the cohesion side of things is, is really tough at the moment. They've had a really strange period of, obviously, the COVID, South Africa, isolation, guys coming in and out at different times as well. But... Even at that, there, there's frustrating moments for them where they don't look like they're all on the same page. Um, even something early on where Mike Haley runs into one of his forwards on, on counter-attack, there's a bit of rustiness there, of course. But then even you think of that passage where they continually battered away at the Connacht try line before half-time where they kept going for the tap penalties. And the phase where they get turned over, you've got Jean Klein running around the corner. The other two players who might be in his kind of forward pod they end up one of them ends up standing behind the ruck, the other runs short off the left hand side of the ruck, and then they pass back to the left to Jack O'Donoghue, who's clearly not expecting the ball and it's completely static. He's got Gavin Coombs on his shoulder, one support player, and he seals off the ball because he's under such pressure. And you just think there's no joined up thinking around what they're doing, even in that aspect of their their play, which has been such a strength. So we've got to absolutely acknowledge that there was cohesion elements to it and there's a rustiness there and it's been really tough period and, and it was interesting that Mike Haley spoke about it this week just in terms of how difficult it actually is to come out of 20 days isolation first get up to speed physically so you don't get injured in training and then try and, and pick up um your your kind of game sense and and the uh, skills under pressure but at the same time Munster made loads of decisions and choices that just weren't joined up and, and didn't look like they'd been well schooled in a plan that they they were going to execute well yeah i didn't want to say that connacht were better schooled in the mall specifically necessarily because it is just one game right and we've seen monster being yeah. better in the mall than connacht in course, over a longer course. period of time but if you zoom out 
Um, probably in the last four games off the top of my head between these two provinces, I think Connacht definitely looked like the better coach team overall. And if you look at their squads, the resources at their respective disposals, like Munster should be beating Connacht well on paper. We know, look, the game isn't played on paper, but just player by player, pound for pound, Munster should be much better than them. And there's been a score between them in every game. Munster have been fortunate in a couple of those games. They've also lost a couple of those games when it's been important. And Birch, it felt like a turning point for Munster's departing coaching staff. And it's a weird sort of a feeling because... I think as much as we balk at the idea of there being like rugby values, I actually do think rugby fans are generally more patient than fans of clubs or teams and other sports when it comes to coaches. And there is a kind of a almost blind loyalty at times towards coaches. But when that loyalty isn't reciprocated by the coaches themselves and they're out the door, then fans start to raise their heads above the parapet a little bit and, and actually say what they feel. <laughs> and I'm probably including myself in this a little bit, but it do, it just felt as though a lot of Munster fans uh, kind of don't know how much longer they can take this for, even though they know there's an end point coming. It actually felt like a breaking point for a lot of them, just that they've seen this type of performance so many times. And I've no doubt that Johan van Graan and Stephen Larkham don't send Munster out to play negative rugby or conservative rugby or reductive rugby, whatever you want to call it. They probably think it's intelligent rugby. There's actually no rugby involved in it, really, or not much, you know? And if you're losing games while not really playing the sport you're meant to be playing or not playing it in, in any meaningful way, really, like, I don't know. There has to be a change. I mean, I think it's safe to say now Munster are probably fortunate that there will be changes at the end of the season. Yeah, I do agree. Munster fans are incredibly patient and uh, tolerant. Um, but, but I do think that the, the reaction to the Connacht game is probably, you know, a step, a step too far for a lot of them. Now, having said that, things can change but I do think there's massive pressure on Saturday um, if that game goes ahead um, that there is some kind of reaction because that'll be cast Connacht Ulster um, and I, I just think confidence level um, and levels of expectation for the, for the next four, four or five months will will drop to a, a low a low that could affect you know next year and the year after because people are going to stop um they're going to show their, their lack of interest through bums on seats, you know, and um, that'll affect Munster financially. We know that they're um, rumoured to to be in a deficit um, and, you know, it just becomes... And the problem as well for, for the current management is how well the team played in was. And I know, I mean, um, <laughs> like with, with poor preparation, without those coaches involved, uh, maybe with the naivety of youth, the fact that obviously was weren't up to the level but if you look at how Munster set about the, the playing the game they they really threw the shackles off and wanted to play and I think if, if they had lost that game against Wasp playing the way they played no one would have had any questions and I don't think any Munster fan expects it's a God-given right to beat Connacht but it's the nature of the content um, is, is the problem so I think this is a massive week um, I do think there's been I think Munster have been in denial for a long time um, and I think that's that's fed into the fact that they haven't Change the pecking order um, in, in Irish rugby. It seems to be that they've accepted, and, and they'll argue this to the cows come on, particularly, you know, they're very, very sensitive to outside criticism, um, which they always were, but they used to drive, used to make sure they had the performances on the field that made, made, meant you at your words. Um, this current crop over the last seven or eight, nine years have, have just become 
just doing okay. They're just doing okay. You know, they'll, they'll get the semi-finals, uh, which what they spend given their heritage is a given. You know, um, I think that's where it should be at, uh, minimum. Um, and yeah, it just seems to be that there's never really a crisis. There's never really a, you know, this needs to change. It's just tick along, you know, as as normal, and everything will be okay. The fans will still support us. We're Munster. Eventually, we get it right. And and even when Leinster, when Leinster had that dip, you know, when uh, when Leo came in first, and there was that transition after Matt O'Connor and and Joe Schmidt, and there was young players needed to be blooded, and Leinster lost six out of six in Europe. Actually, they had a really poor year. Um, you know. Munster didn't win a title. You know, Connacht won one. Uh, Scarlet's won one when others were in position. Munster didn't win a title even when Leinster weren't at their best. So, um, you know, that's that's a sign for me that they they weren't ready to take that opportunity. So, um, having said that, they still have huge uh, uh, amount of talent, huge amount of history. They can get it right, but you just wonder, you'd wonder who's going to, who in there is it, are the senior players strong enough to to drive change? Are the is the CEO and the board of management strong enough to drive change? Is is it Leinster driving Munster? Is it sorry? Is it the RFU driving Munster? Um, yeah, I I I just think this could be the turning point for them if they get it right. Um, but I don't think it's just coaching. It's it's across the whole organization. Uh, they very quick to highlight people criticizing them. Um, but the easy thing to do is just focus on themselves and, and put in types of performances, win trophies that they're capable of winning. Leinster were probably real honest at that time as well, Birch, weren't they? In terms of like, yeah. it wasn't good enough, we have to change something here. And they went out, including Leo Cullen himself, and fixed it. First it was Graham Henry and they eventually got Lancaster in and, and they made changes and probably streamlined even things behind the scenes there to, to make themselves better. And that honesty is a, is a massive side of it. One of the other things around the style of play, you said earlier on with Connick, like they've got to have balance in terms of the attacking side and the mall. I just, when Munster have these performances, I think they lose all sight of balance in, in how they approach the game. Like, <clears throat> yes, on a day like that, absolutely mall and like relentless 22 attack are, are key elements of it. But you can't completely lose sight of of other vital aspects of the game like passing into space as you mentioned earlier on in terms of Dialende when that's on or there was an example early in the game wasn't there when Ben Healy hangs up a beautiful spiral bomb on a free kick the ball goes bouncing up into the 22 Jack O'Donoghue gathers it and they've got an overlap on the left hand side and, and it doesn't seem like anyone's even looking for it and and they almost get too blind when they, they like heavily pursue that kind of uh, attritional style of play that they do excel in so often and that they can overpower a lot of teams with they just lose all balance even if you look at someone like the Springboks who are kick maul scrum heavy like they score absolutely brilliant tries and have brilliant attacking flashes even within that game plan because their players are still alert and coached to be alert to those possibilities away from those areas of focus so I, I do think they have a, a tendency to, to go that way and as you said Gav I've actually been really kind of not surprised but um, it's been interesting the, the reaction to this game and, and it's always so different like online reaction is a really bad place I think to judge it usually it's hysterical on there regardless of what happens but this time you have fans like that are ringing texting me getting in touch people who are in the game as well and, and not just on Twitter expressing their opinions just thinking like this is not in a good place at the moment and even suggesting that maybe Munster would be better off to cut their losses now and, and move on with some sort of kind of makeshift coaching ticket um, I personally don't think that will be the case. I'd, I'd be very surprised if Munster do make a move that drastic right now and 
they'll back the kind of coaching team to to improve things but it is interesting to see that kind of noise and murmurings around Munster because it feels like people are kind of running out of patience as well you you talked about Connick's budget and it feels like they're getting closer to maximizing their potential than Munster are with with all the resource they've been given and again let's not get towards hyperbole here but there is a little bit of a, a strange scenario now where you've got a coach who they handed a new two-year contract to and then he decided he wants to join the worst team in the premiership and, and obviously there's attractions there and there's loads of different factors but obviously Munster aren't going to be particularly happy that that's the decision their head coach took after vowing his future to the province the RFU aren't happy with that the RFU aren't happy with how Munster is kind of set up behind the scenes we've heard about the the private investment and that element of it so there's loads going on here and yeah Munster are definitely going to be competitive I would be shocked if they're not in the hunt at the end of the season but they can be better than this they can definitely push it onto the next level and, and that's probably what's frustrating their supporters at the moment just on just on the bat thing if if bat signed Jenkins and Delande uh even even though it's a free market, you know. Um, it's a free market. I think that'll be a, another hammer blow to uh, to Johan. And obviously, look, he has to sign the players for. He, like the reality is, for the next six months, um, he's only human. A certain percentage of his week is going to be thinking about, you know, what the makeup of Bath looks like, right? And if the Damien Lande and and Jason Jenkins can't stay in Munster, you know, it's a free market and they go wherever they want. But I just think that will be another. I think a lot of fans will find it difficult to. Uh, accept that too uh, it's just something that's it, it's interesting and it's very unusual for us in Ireland to have this we had it with Pat Lamb obviously where you know he, he exercised that clause and, and, and he got out um, he got out of his contract uh, six, with six months notice and now it's, this is the second time um, that I can remember it in terms of provincial uh, coaches and, and how that's um, how, how they're using that to to break a contract and the ramifications it has. I mean, who's doing a recruitment for Munster now? I know they've signed six players this week, but um, it's it's a bit of a mess, really. You know. The other interesting thing is, like, Johan van Graan had agreed a new two-year contract, and I think a lot of people would question why that new two-year contract was given, given that Munster haven't got to where they aspire to go. They aspire to be the best club in the world. It's It's on their website if you want to look for the document. They want to be the very best, and they haven't been the very best uh, I don't think a lot of people believe they've taken steps towards being that so he got a new two-year contract which I, I think is is a maybe an odd decision in regards of their ambition and where they've gone in the, in the last four years and now they end up with a scenario where he's leaving at the end of the season and maybe that is going to work out better for Munster because they can move in a new direction now I thought it was also fascinating to hear Graham Rountree speak this week he was really excellent when he was up in, in front of the media spoke about the bond he's connect he's got with the province his family connecting with it how much he loves it here how he wanted to sign for five years but they only gave him two and and he was obviously evasive on the question of ambitions of being a head coach i don't know what you made of that birch but uh yeah, his, his words have yeah. gone down really well yeah just on your first point about you know i agree i was i was surprised that johan automatically got two more years I also was was shocked that he had it because if you if you remember, there was no announcement. We only found out he'd signed a two year contract after he broke it. Which if you're if you're Johan uh, and you're you're going, geez, the monster really are they really proud of signing me? Like so, there's there's loads of mixed messages. Uh, I, I you know it's very rare someone signs a coach and doesn't make any announcement for. He can hold off for a couple of weeks or but to, to hold it that long, um, and that led to all the 
uh, like uh, all the uncertainty about Stephen Larkham etc as well it all added into it so I think from that point of view that there's, there's question marks around that um, you know your uh, the second point about Graham Rowntree I think of, of, of Stephen Larkham of Johan van Graan and of Graham Rowntree Graham is probably the most Munster like coach in terms of his character and personality like he's a he's a warm uh he's a warm type person he buys into things um and that's what Munster have always been about I think in some ways I, I I think that there's there's been a tendency over the last 10 years to basically try and put some kind of model the model for for a professional rugby team is this that's what Munster need to do that's what Leinster need to do that's what Connor need to do that's what Ulster need to do um and it seems to be very IRFU led what Munster do Whereas I think the other provinces, you know, it seems that they try and do their own thing to a certain extent, a little bit more, right? And I think Munster's the worst place you can apply um, high-performance model into. I think you need to find people and, and ways that tap into where they've come from, their own identity, because that's what made them special in the first place. If you think back to why they were, they were really good and won Europe twice, it wasn't because... It was the perfect structure. Uh, uh, it was it was the people that made it. It was the people that made it. And um, yeah, I I think Graham Graham is someone that the players have bought into. Uh, I I thought it was, he he spoke really well. Um, and yeah, that's what Munster need. They need characters. They need personalities. They need people who either know what Munster Ruby's built on or want to find out about it. Um, and yeah, I think his. His personality highlights maybe where they're lacking in other areas. Has he done a good enough job as forwards coach, Murray, to earn a new contract? Sorry, my dog was just after busting. I thought it was a monster there, fan, so I had to send him back out. <laughs> uh, I don't think John is a monster. It was the PR PR office. Yeah. John is a leash dog, so kill the I call. Kill the call. Um, but yeah, like I, I do think the forwards have have been like really solid and reliable and like we just mentioned that's the area of the game they so often go to the mall is so instrumental in in many of Munster's wins the momentum they gain there the pressure they put on opposition obviously their attack close to try line where their forwards uh, are used as the the primary attacking weapon is really impressive as well there have been blips and I suppose underperformances at line out time um even thinking that Connacht game was a was a bad day for them as well but but that will happen reports from the players who work with him are really good in terms of his work on the training ground and he's hugely liked by the players uh, and that's an important part of it as well I do think he's a, a good forwards coach it's an interesting one you know if someone else comes in as a head coach you, you generally get to pick your own coaching ticket but he will be there if he's remaining in that forwards coach role and that's an interesting dynamic as well but I don't think he'd get much, much more of a strong CV in terms of a forwards coach and a guy who's from all accounts really easy to to work with as well so it makes sense on, on that front uh, as well so yeah i think that's a, a good bit of business in, from Munster in terms of tying him down there, and there are lo- loads of elements that they have now that they can build off i even think say ian costello someone who's been mentioned as possibly stepping up into the senior coaching ticket but i think he's just started with that academy job and is doing a really good bit of work there as well and and getting that side of it in order He's got a really good knowledge of the AIL. He's got a really realistic understanding of, of what's going on at, at other levels on, on the, in the pipeline. We've spoken before about how important it is that they sort out aspects of that, like Limerick and getting more players through. 
uh, on that side of things. So I think letting him to do that work is is really important, even though he obviously made an impression with that Wasps week and how well he managed it, how well he spoke even that week and, and the, the kind of atmosphere he built in his squad was probably as important as anything else. And we spoke about how players, you know, including Pierre Romani, put that up there as the most enjoyable experience of their career, which is probably quite telling as well. So, yeah, I think they've got elements there, but there's a whole lot of the puzzle and the jigsaw still left to figure out and how it settles as Birch says is going to be really important for the the future of Munster you need an element of what has made Munster but I also think it's really time to start looking forward I mean the the reference points of, of those great Munster teams they're they're so distant now you know the game has changed the tactical like style and trends in the game have changed massively. I think Munster probably need to to look forward a little bit more with a kind of fresher uh, attitude around that. Even sorry, even no, Murray, 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 obviously sorry, uh, absolutely. I'm not saying I'm not saying that you can't have tight. You, you don't need to have tactical or technical yeah. know how. You need to have a high performance model, absolutely. But you still have to have an identity totally. that's 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 unique to you. So that's the like. There's no team in the world who's who's not looking at where they're coming from or what they want to create um, as part of their whole overall makeup. And, and I, I totally agree about you with Cozzy. I think, yeah, Cozzy obviously could be one of the assistant coaches, potentially could be the head coach. But I, I think that the, the job he has on his place and has started will be massively important for the long term. And that's what Munster need. They need people who have a long-term vision um, for where they're going, a medium term and a, and a short term. And, and um, yeah, they just need to, to get it right this time um, and and absolutely I, I hope I didn't come across saying oh it's all about looking back they need to look forward they need to be tactically smart they need to be well coached etc etc but also they have a unique history um, that you'd be foolish to just you know brush over mm. in that like what I'm interested about like obviously as far as we know they've spoken to Declan Kidney just you know initial conversation what have you made of that link because that's obviously a link to the past yeah, to link the path, I think they need somebody um, who's not on the field. Okay, so the, the problem is uh, Johan was signed as a head coach to be on the field, and he's drifted away from the field. It's now Steve uh, Larkham is the is effectively the de facto head coach. Johan is a more of a director of rugby, um, but isn't a proven uh, recruiter or retention guy in terms of really being smart in the market. Right, so Steve Diamond, for example, has gone to Worcester as a consultant. Steve Diamond's forte is is basically getting a um, a roster together um, for a certain budget, right? And uh, being smart in the in the in the recruitment game, you know what Munster potentially lack is is somebody who understands a kidney type, and, and I do, I do think probably having come from Munster um, is a massive advantage. But what kidney's done at international level and now is done in the Premiership, he understands player contract values okay um he understands the recruitment game he's got a network of agents he's gone through this and he's not on the field in in um in london irish it's les kiss and the coaches who who put together a very good game plan if you watch london irish uh they're they're probably fighting or batting above their average in, in terms of how they're the results and certainly to play a good brand of rugby but i think they need that focal point who can report to the the ceo like if you gave graham roundtree the head coach job um it would be madness to have him involved in all the stuff you know that that isn't involved in head coaching because effectively what he knows best is is the pitch right and you know for and it would free up some budget because you don't need to pay massive massive money for a classical dor you know who's not hands on but who can actually 
alleviate a lot of the pressure, a lot of the admin, a lot of the hassle, um, a lot of the bullshit from the head coach. Uh, can report to there if you can report to the board, to the professional games board, etc. Can do the media. Um, if if the head coach doesn't want to do media that week, can can take off the the load. Can negotiate contracts with with players. Can talk to agents, etc., etc. So it's not the head coach's uh, fault if a player is unhappy with an offer, right? And you have two or three weeks of of that them stewing over that that discontent. Every the head coach can keep harmony and build. Uh, a really good culture in the, in the in the squad, and it would free up budget then for Graham Rountree, for example, um, who I mentioned him because he's in there, he knows the team. Um, it's not a great time to be going looking for coaches. Most good coaches are under contract. Um, could then build assistant coaches around him, um, and maybe have a little bit more. But even though we know Munster pay big money to the assistant coaches, but maybe you know use that budget that you save on not having a a really high profile DOR. To get in a really good defense coach, a really good attack coach, attack coach, a skills coach. You know, um, I don't believe that. I think they're one of the only f- teams that don't have a, a full time skills coach. Um, uh, and you know, you build a really good coaching team who who complement each other. You know, and give the players exactly what they need in terms of technical technical information. But you have someone above who could be there for ten years, who is in touch with the academies, in touch with the clubs, in touch with the universities, as I said, and looks after all that other stuff. For me, that's a better setup for Munster than they had it this year with Johan, um, where he's a DOR, but he, you know, bar signing Sliman, Delande and Jenkins, there's probably been no real coup um, in terms of, you know, uh, uh, an under-the-radar signing didn't cost a lot of money that has come in and been really influential, like Mac Hansen in in um, in 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 Leinster and McConnell, for example, you know, um, Andy Friend has done really well. So he and Andy Friend isn't on the pitch as much as he was. I mean, that's Peter Wilkins now, uh, but Andy Friend works with Willie Rand, Tim Allnut, to make sure all that roster stuff is is the best it can be. There's obviously you know you don't win them all, you lose Ulton Land, you lose Quinn Rue, but you you win enough to keep the roster. Um, improving in a healthy way, but also then you're you're helping the head coach, which in Connor's point of view is Peter Wilkins, um, drive the culture, you know, drive the the strategy, make sure the identity is right. That seems to be the best model. Uh, Leinster have it, um, obviously with Leo not having to do Leo, uh, Stewart doing most of the coaching, nearly all the coaching. Leo there as driving the culture, the vision, and then guys to be doing the the contracts. Ulster have it with Bryn Cunningham doing the contract work. Dan is a little bit more heads hands on, but their CEO has a proven track record in rugby. You know, so yeah, it depends on what you have in your organization. But I think what Munster are lacking in their organization above Johan is is people who have been, you know, at the coal face of professional rugby in some shape or form over the last five, ten years and really understand the market and the dynamics. Um, whereas Leinster have Mick Dawson used to do the contracts. You know, they've Leinster are very lucky. They've got a lot of really good people in the right places, but there's no reason why Munster can't find those. What do you make of that, Murray, before we talk about some of the actual recruitment that is going on at the moment at Munster? Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's kind of the invisible stuff to us. Um, and what Birch has said, it makes a lot of sense. And that that is a massive part of it. Like, we focus on the coaches, but, like, the people above that in Munster have responsibility for making them the best club in the world, which is it's their stated aim as well. And... And the CEO, Ian Flanagan, like he's got big decisions to make and he's got an influence to have there. And 
obviously coming from football, I think his, his previous gig was in, uh, it's a it's a different ball game altogether. There's the professional game board with the likes of Mick O'Driscoll and John Kelly, I think some ex-players in, in, involved in that as well, who who drive decisions. And it is unseen to us so often, but, but those things are massive. We, you know, it, it needs to feel a little more settled from Munster at that level as well. Um, to, to, to drive things below that as well and, and Flanagan I suppose we haven't heard too much from obviously the CEO is, is rarely up for interview and that kind of thing when he was up for interview we heard about esports and the fact that they were going to sell some naming rights for Thoman Park which has been ongoing for as long as I can remember at this stage and, and hasn't happened um, and obviously that's a divisive issue but that kind of stuff as well it matters in terms of bringing in income They've had the private investment for Dialande and Snyman. It sounds like that wasn't there this time around. And, and that was maybe one of the, the, the issues. And, and Johan van Graan wasn't too happy about that side of things. So it has to be tidy and smooth behind the scenes for everything else that we see day to day to run smoothly as well. Just, just last thing on this. It's my understanding, and I may be wrong on this, but the IRFU have a big say in the head coach, but Munster have more autonomy for the assistant coaches. So that the you know, um it's a joint process, I believe. Uh, but also just last last thing, it, it, like Scott Robertson is the one that everyone wants, right? But if you got Scott Robertson in, are you gonna are you gonna basically clamp him or or put pressure on him to do all the other stuff? You know what I mean? You'd want him, you know, setting the vision, you know, m- motivating the players um, you know, creating that identity, culture, etc. But being hands on with the players, you wouldn't just put Scott Robertson in and go, "Our our our rugby's secure for the next five or six years," because there's so much other things. And I think at the moment, it's not really clear who is driving that monster. Um, and, and, and something that they, that needs to be looked at. I think. Yeah, I think we can accept that Damien Deolande is out the gap, or will be, whether it's to Bath or otherwise. Where does Don Morris fit into? Munster's squad next season Murray this is a story you had in the 42 last night he's a 24 year old he's Irish qualified he looks like he's on his way from Saracens he can play 12-13 on the wing but is he more of a kind of a squad player like it doesn't feel as though he's a direct replacement for Diolande or, or is he if that finance isn't there to bring in a marquee player to replace Diolande mm, Yeah as you say nothing f- f- officially confirmed there yet but uh, certainly have been talking to him and he's been a good player with Saracens obviously he's not a uh, kind of high profile star but a very effective uh, powerful and I know Birch has probably seen more of him player and, and he's featured a lot for Saris and he's over the 40 cap mark now and you, you're not a, a poor player to, to do that so he's got quality certainly by all sounds yeah Dialende is kind of expected to to leave now uh, haven't heard of any contract signed elsewhere and and you never know but that is certainly the sense of it at the moment along with Snyman so if it is a replacement it's, it's obviously a, a without being harsh on people it's a downgrade because Damien Dialende is one of the very best centres in the world um, there's a bit of chat around Munster going out to sign a, a marquee name again haven't heard any specific names in that apparently they tried for Malachi Fekatoa at one stage he's going to look to France I think instead um, and they'll obviously try and re- recruit some stardust if those two South African high profile stars are, are leaving but that's probably again something that fans need isn't it <laughs> you want a big signing you don't want your two stars World Cup winners uh, leaving and, and nothing else coming in. So I'd imagine there's a little bit more to do on, on that front from Munster's point of view. 
as well as the contracting, like good news yesterday with uh, six new contracts at, at senior level, Chris Farrell, Joey Carberry, Jean Klein, three of their Ireland internationals among them, as well as some of the younger guys, including Alex Candelin, stepping up from the academy year two to, to a senior deal, which is fantastic news. And he looks like a great prospect. So again, there's positive bits for, for Munster to build on in the future. But I do think there'll probably be a little bit more recruitment to come. And as Bert says, the fascinating thing is like, who's driving that? Yeah, and I, yeah. Just Mars. Mars is decent. Um, he's quick and he's strong. He's good defensively. Um, he runs hard. Uh, comes off the bench quite a bit for Saris, but no, he he'd be a decent signing. Obviously, Irish qualified. I think if they are allowed another marquee player, they need a front row, not another centre. Um, they need a front row, uh, hooker or 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 a tight head, uh, and and go spend your money there. I, I said it last year, um, when they signed Jenkins, um. I think still like if especially the way they want to play sorry especially the way they are playing um, you need to be dominant up front I mean the reason it works for the box is they bring on six world class forwards to replace the ones that come off um, for the last 30 minutes and they put a squeeze on teams I mean their, their sub front row is is phenomenal so Munster are trying to play a game that they okay they're, they're better than most packs um, but they don't really have the tools to bully the top five teams in Europe I don't think or maybe the top two or three teams in the in the URC either they don't replace Dale directly with a kind of an elite level player Murray though I'm not sure they have the tools either way you know like I actually think they need both and I know it's probably an impossibility but that's the situation they're in I think hmm. it'll be interesting to see what happens in terms of interprovincial movement this year as well there undoubtedly will be some and there's undoubtedly interest from Munster in some of Leinster's players I know Dan Sheen's been mentioned a couple of times how amazing would it be for them to get him and, and obviously he'd play in every game. Kieran Frawley's another one that I know other people are looking enviously at, a guy who isn't first choice when, when Leinster have all their players available, but who very much looks like someone who's ready to step into that kind of bracket and could have a, a really big influence on, on a team's attack as well. So I'm kind of waiting to hear a little bit around that. As we've discussed many times before, Leinster players are, are hard to get out of their, their home province. They're well coached there. They're in a winning team. They can get into an Ireland international squad without always being first choice for, for Leinster at times. And like, it's funny, Bert, you, you just mentioned an issue we talked about a year ago in terms of Munster and their recruitment. And it feels like everything else we talked about today is stuff we've touched on in the past and and even at the start of the season. So yeah, the, the recruitment side of it is, is a massive part of it. I agree with you. That would be a massive thing for them is to get a big, powerful hooker or, or tight head. Kieran Frawley grew up a Munster fan, I think. One of their own. Watch that space. Uh, just a word quickly, <laughs> Murray, on Finn Wright in that same piece you had on Morris. Uh, some talk, well, I say some talk, some reporting from yourself that uh, this Australian front row might be on his way to Connacht. Yeah, not a, not a guy I know a lot about, to be honest. Um, he's Irish qualified, plays both sides of scrum, and he played Australian schoolboys. I think he's a, a nephew of Owen Finnegan, formerly of Leinster as well. Um, and I think this is more maybe of, of, a, of a trial, even a, a development kind of player. Obviously, there's connections there to Australia with with Friend and with David Nusifora. This IQ rugby thing has kind of grown, as we've seen. Don Morris is a good example of it. Sean Reffel is coming over to Ulster from Saracens as well, a guy we didn't even know was Irish qualified. And I just imagine that there's... Actually, I know for a fact that there's agents just getting in touch with the RFU with the provinces now, having checked with their players to see if there's RFU qualifications Obviously, things are changing in England with a salary cap there uh, being reduced and, and squads are going to be squeezed. So I'd imagine there's going to be lots of contact from guys who uh, have remembered that they've got an Irish granny or granddad. 
just a word on the other two provinces that we've barely given a word to so far, Bernard. I mean, you say that if this Monster Ulster fixture goes ahead, as we hope it does, it's a massive game for Munster. Naturally enough, a massive game for Ulster as well. I think the last six between these two teams have been won by the home team. So statistically or historically, recently historically, Ulster up against it. And yet... I think based on what we've seen of Monster and all we've discussed, it kind of feels like a 50-50. Could be an absolute cracker, actually, as it turns out, if it happens. Yeah, there's obviously a lot more rounds to be played in the URC, but I think this game uh, will be will be massive. Ulster have been on a really good run. They'll fancy their chances of coming down um, and, and getting a result. But I, I think it's all about Munster, to be honest. Um, they, 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 it's going to be so telling to see what they're made of in terms of how they react um, to this. But yeah, it could be, I believe everyone's, all PCRs are clear so far so um, at the moment it looks like it's on and uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it actually I, I think um, we'll we'll find a lot about about both teams and um, Ulster are building you know quite nicely obviously they've responded so well to that poor performance in the Viva against Connacht and just since then they've they've just built nicely without um, maybe getting too many you know highlights or, or, or talking points but they're in a decent place and uh, um, I'm looking forward to seeing it they, they left off with a bit of momentum, didn't they, after Leinster and, and the, the Claremont games. And I, I'm just hoping that everyone is available and that we get to see McCluskey and Hume in midfield again because I think they are just thrilling to watch at the moment. Particularly Hume, like McCluskey's been a, a totem, as we discussed on the last pod, Gav, and his new contract. Both their new contracts are, are brilliant news, but Hume is just accelerating so impressively and he's such an integral part of Ulster's approach now. They're just putting him in good positions like one-on-ones, uh, even two-on-twos, and allow him to do his thing. And it's a, a wonderful use of a really effective outside centre. And again, if we're going to contrast, Chris Farrell have Munster got the best out of him at all times. He doesn't get a lot of those one-on-one situations from what I can see. Um, but Hume has, has obviously got this lightning-quick footwork, really confident young man as well, uh, and backs himself to, to beat defenders and, and make opportunities for Ulster, creating chances for others even in, in attack as well. Both of them are, are capable of, of distributing as well and working hard on that side of his game is massive. Defensively, they teamed up really well also. And, and I think that'll be a, a brilliant battle if the, if the pair of them are available. Yeah, no, Chris Farrell's a brave man signing a new contract. Just another couple of years of freezing his nads off in midfield. But uh, <laughs> we need to mention Leinster as well and I don't know how to do it because we just haven't seen them in so long. But I wonder, Birch, like as much as it is frustrating for them to have not played recently and for so long, will Leo Collar and Stuart Lancaster be kind of like happy enough to just be working away in the background with nobody actually talking about them under no, I don't know, under no nah. public pressure? No, no, they would have wanted, they would have had a plan around the fixture list as it originally stood. And, and um, obviously, you know, they they had COVID in camp. So um, they... You know, it's it was in their own hands to a certain extent, particularly the, the Montpellier game. But they were ready to play on Stevens Day um, in in Ulster. Um, they're frustrated, but have they're also very lucky in that they can have training sessions that are probably as better than some of the games they have to play are tougher. Um, and I and I know they've had always thirty six lads on the field um, and ready to go. You know, when they've been back in when they, they shut down UCD for a little while, but since they've come back, they've always been able to have you know two fifteens plus extras on the field um, so it won't be ideal but they, they definitely won't be enjoying not playing they'll want to be out there testing themselves uh, gathering points and, and you know getting ready for 
for the big games that are that are um on, are in their in their tar- in their radar on the radar for the next next couple of months. But um yeah, I heard of one academy guy or young player who has been a close contact five times. So basically, he's had five ten days um, isolation uh, without, from what I believe, hasn't had COVID. So um, you can just imagine how frustrating that is for for some of the players who maybe are expecting to play a certain week, get that opportunity, and you know then it's it's taken away from. So stressful time for obviously everybody, but you think of a young player particularly who maybe is not equipped to to deal with that or hasn't made a name for himself yet, and and is just seeing these opportunities go. It's quite tough. One of the things that Stephen Larkham actually mentioned recently in terms of Munster, they're quite hopeful now that since they've kind of been through a period where a lot of people in the squad had COVID, that they feel they might get a clean run at it now. And I think Leinster will have exactly the same hope. They've had this patch, literally a a large proportion of the squad having COVID. And and as you say, some of them not, just close contacts. But they'll hope that they get a clean run at it now. And I think that's the case across everyone, really. Everyone's kind of been through it. Connacht have been quite blessed in terms of not being... you know, forced out any games themselves um, through their own COVID cases. But a lot of clubs have been through it and, and fingers crossed that allows the, the calendar to run smoothly. The other thing with Leinster is all the injured guys, as Leo Cullen mentioned, have had a chance to fully recuperate. So you've got Johnny Sex and Jack Conan, virtually everyone actually, apart from the longer term injuries, who's going to be coming back into it now. Everyone will obviously be rusty. They'll lack some of that cohesion that is so famously uh, part of Leinster's approach. But they will hopefully get a, a clean start at it now into Europe um, with those two games re- returning for those and and hopefully on into an, another big season because they had had a couple of underperformances so far this season they've had a couple of disappointments even when they had players available they probably didn't have that level of cohesion we, we associate with them always um, so it's going to be a big uh, six months ahead for them Looking ahead to the next 12 months then I'll start with yourself Murray what are you most looking forward to about the rugby year? There's loads, and obviously, like there's some uncertainty, but I, I think there's loads to be optimistic about. I cannot wait for Super Rugby Pacific, particularly because uh, Moana Pacifica and the Fijian Drua teams are are going to be involved. It's going to be obviously local in in the first uh, number of rounds, but I'm fascinated to see how those sides do over this year and and on into the future, um, and how that affects their national teams. Obviously, the the Pacific Islands have massive potential to kind of take the next step and be competitive top-tier nations. Really excited about that. The Japanese League won the new competition as well. Unfortunately, the the first game has come a a cropper with COVID cases, but there's there's another array of kind of superstar players gone there. And again, it's all about that development of of the top level of rugby. Hopefully Japanese rugby benefits massively from the the growth of that league. Um, And I know Japan are still working really hard to get into the rugby championship. Hopefully we see that in the near future because they have earned a shot, I think, at at this stage. Those are the bits I'm really interested around. Obviously closer to home, the Six Nations is going to be absolutely brilliantly contested. There's uncertainty around crowd restrictions, I know, at the moment. As far as I know, it'll be ploughing ahead on, on the dates as scheduled in the home venues. I know people have been talking about playing in one country. I don't think the Six Nations themselves have have discussed that really. And yeah, it's going to be really evenly contested because Ireland have had a great November. France, we know, are on a, a great trajectory. Wales have had recent success under PIVAC. And Scotland have had a couple of big results last year. And, and you'd be shocked if England don't bounce back in, in a strong way. So it's actually quite difficult to call. And it's only around the corner now. So massive couple of weeks for Irish players in those European games in particular, presuming they go ahead uh, to, to kind of prove their place and, and, and grab a, a kind of spot in, in Andy Farrell's squad. So loads for, from my point of view to look forward to. 
that whets the appetite pretty nicely. Anything else, Birch, before we wrap? Murray's nearly mentioned everything. I think there's a competition in the Aran Islands, Murray, that you might want to <laughs> see if you can uh, <laughs> if you can get a look at it. No, uh, Slencer Schools, because Murray, Murray mentioned everything else. I'm actually looking forward to seeing some uh, some schoolboy action, hopefully in uh, in February, March, and um, yeah, seeing the next generation. Yeah, Jesus. First round of the cup is going to be good. Yeah, first round of the cup, Blackrock Michaels. Um, yeah, two two favourites playing each other round one. Ah, those lads. A lot of them will have been waiting a long time for a bit of cup action. So uh, that should be a cra- that should be a cracking tournament as well in across the four provinces. Uh, the Leinster one gets a lot of love, lads, but you know there are three more competitions as well in the country. <laughs> um, <laughs> listen, pleasure as always, Bresh. Thank you. Thank you, Cheers. Murray. Thank you. Cheers, Gav. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you and Happy New New Year to everybody at home as well. Come here. Thanks a million as always for tuning in. Uh, if you want to send questions to us for the next episode next Thursday, hit us up on email or Twitter or whatever. Work away. If you want extra rugby pods, Murray gets together with Owen Toolan on Monday mornings and they produce a brilliant little analysis piece. I mean, it's not even little. It's uh, it's uh, a mammoth every Monday looking back in the weekend's action. It's members.the42.e if you want to sign up there. You also get access to all of the other offerings from the 42 membership. They're, uh, most of them are available to peruse on the landing page. See what you think. It's a five or a month or 42 euro for the year. We will catch you next week. Uh, until then, have a great end of week, weekend. Mind yourselves and take it easy. 